Rightio. Well, I've got something on my heart I want to share this morning, and um, we'll, we'll land there, and uh, we'll take off from one airport, uh, and hopefully we'll land on the ground at another airport, not land at bushes or crash land. Have you ever crash landed? I've crash landed on a few occasions. Today I plan on landing on the wheels on the tarmac and just sort of gliding in to the shed there. Uh, but we'll see what ends up happening. Let's just pray real quick. Father, thank you, Lord, for your grace. Thank you for your mercy towards each and every one of us, Lord. I thank you that, God, you are not an angry God up there, Lord, looking for reasons to punish us and judge us, Father. Lord, you love us and you want us to understand and know that love that you have for us, God. Lord, I thank you that you have only good things in store for us, Father, as we follow you. Lord, you're taking us to good places, better places. That's your plans and your purposes. You love us because of who we are. We're your kids, not our performance. And we thank you for that this morning, Father. And Lord, I, I pray right now, Holy Spirit, would you open up our eyes, see something different that we haven't seen, open our ears to hear something this morning different that we haven't heard, and continue to conform us into the image of Jesus so that we can take this message of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus to the rest of the world, Father. Everyone said? Amen. 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 Well, who was there on Sunday? Who, who was there on Sunday? Sunday at the baptisms? Yep, yep. Oh, of course you guys were there because half your family got baptised. You had to be there. Sunday was awesome. I, I, I'm going to refer to Sunday again uh, in a minute and I'll keep coming back to it. For those of you that are unaware, we had five baptisms on Sunday uh, afternoon after church. And uh, we've got Sarah's here. Um, Mix working at the moment. Joel, I saw Joel. Where's Joel? I saw Joel here. Um, just uh, Xavier up the back and Josiah. No, nope. okay. So, so three out of five ain't bad. Okay, we're, we're doing all right. But um, good percentage. But uh, uh, it was exciting. We went out to a creek out on Howard's Road, out where Tuckerbill Road and uh, Rifle Range Road join. There's a little creek there, and we went out there and we were doing the baptisms there, and it was awesome because when we got there. There were, um, I got there early because I took my fishing rod down. I was having a bit of a, bit of a fish. And um, what happened was a bunch of young guys rocked up in their big four-wheel drives, jacked up, fat tyres, and I could tell they were getting set up for a bit of a party, a bit of a do down there. And one pulls up and two and then three and then they started unloading stuff out of the ute. And then one, one car pulled up of us and then a second, then a third. By about the fifth or sixth car I saw them, they just picked everything up, put it all back in the cars and turned around and drove away when we outnumbered them and they took off. But uh, there were cars going past on the bridge watching these, this crazy group of people putting people underwater. They probably went past at the speed. They probably wouldn't realise we brought you back up. So I'm surprised the police didn't come. They're drowning people down there at the creek. But uh, anyway, uh, we also had some kids on the rocks on the other side. Some kids come down for a bit of a swing. I don't know if any of you noticed them, but they were over there on the rocks. And so they were watching what was going on. But it was awesome. I said to, to Jackie when we got home, I reckon of all my years being involved... Um, um, you know, here in Arise and, and we love everything that goes on here I love the people here and love what God is doing but it was one of my most favourite times uh, to see people publicly out there declaring uh, their faith and not ashamed to say uh, I have decided what's the song I have decided to follow Jesus Seeing, see, yeah exactly right that's right I, I think it was awesome it's one of my favourite uh, times <laughs> Uh, since we've been involved here uh, with the church, to see people publicly out there declaring, um, you know, I mean, we, 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 we do these things in church now. You close your eyes, bow your heads and put your hand up and nobody's going to know about it. It's just between you and God. And that's, that's powerful and real. Nicodemus came to Jesus at night. It's fine. I've got no problem with that. But there is a point 
where, where we go beyond just every eye closed and, every, and we put a hand up privately and quietly between me and God, there's a point where my relationship with God has to go beyond just me and God. It has to engage with the world around me. People need to know that, hey, I've, I've drawn a line in the sand. I've, I've had a moment in my life where I've made a decision. That decision is I no longer live for the things of the world. I no longer live to the values and, and, and the systems. Of I've made a choice now. I'm following somebody else. His name is Jesus. That's who I'm following. His teachings, his ethics, what he stands for, what he believes, what he taught, as tough and hard as what it can be at times. I'm going to make a choice by the power of the Holy Spirit to live that way. So I thought Sunday was an absolutely fantastic um, uh, opportunity to gather together and as I said one of my most favourite times because uh, it reminded me a little bit of this book, this, this parchment, this ancient document we've got bound up in here and it's a little name, it's called, anyone think of the name what I'm thinking of? It's a little little document here written by a guy called Luke and it's called what? Acts, Acts, isn't that great? What a great book, history of the first 30 years of this movement that Jesus instigated called the church and uh, I, I, I was down there and, and I'm thinking, man, this is the kind of stuff that, I, that you kind of read about in there. You know, people out there in the community, outside the four walls, being public about expressing their passion for God, uh, understanding that, you know what, this might cost me something too. Somebody, somebody might drive past who knows you and sees you and, and then they might go to the workplace and go, a funny thing happened on the weekend. I saw him in the water and someone was holding him down. It's kind of weird, you know. And then they might come up to you at work and say, I saw you being held underwater by somebody. What was going on there? And they've got to make a choice. What do you do? Oh, we're having a swim. We're wrestling, playing football. You didn't see the ball? <laughs> You're too far away. We're playing football in the water. No, no. Well, it was a decision that I've made. I've decided that I'm going to follow after Jesus. I'm not, I didn't decide to become religious. I've decided to follow after the person of Jesus Christ. So it was a really, really powerful moment. And I want to sort of bounce off that a little bit. And like I said, hopefully we land at the right airstrip. If you've got um, a whole bunch of ancient um, uh, documents that have been bound together in a, a leather cover that we call a Bible, if you've got one of those with you, you might want to go to uh, an eyewitness account, a man called John, who claims to know a bit about Jesus. He was closer to the time than we are right now, so he's giving us a bit of an eyewitness account of some things that happened. And in John chapter 6, there's a, an interesting story. There's a bunch of people that are following Jesus. You can go back to John chapter 5. It kind of starts there. There's Jesus uh, feeds a bunch of people. Massive, 5,000 people, I think. And that's pretty impressive. Who wouldn't be impressed? If you rock up next week to the barbecue and, and you're there and there's another 4,999 people and we manage to feed them, you're going to think I'm pretty special. Okay, and when I say I'm going uh, down to the skate park next week to do, to, to do so, you're going to follow me. You're going to come because this guy's impressive. Dude, look what he did. So these guys see the 5,000 fed and they start following Jesus. He ends up with this big crowd of people following after him. And he actually gets in a boat with his disciples after feeding the 5,000, goes across the, the ocean, the, the, the sea, and goes to another place. In the morning, they realise Jesus isn't here. So they go, where was he? Remember what he did, dude. So they get a bunch of boats, jump in these boats, and they follow after him. They get off the boat at the other side of the sea, and they find Jesus. And Jesus basically knows why they're following him. He says, you're just following me because a miracle, because I fed you. You're following me because of what you got out of it. That's why you're following me, because of what you saw me do. Uh, and then he goes on, and he starts to teach them, and he makes these statements such as, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood. He says, you're not worthy to be my follower. So what he basically does is he starts to go uh, maybe, maybe a little bit beyond just, hey, it's okay uh, for me to be your saviour. It's okay for me to meet all your needs and give you your fire insurance and keep you out of eternity. And that's okay. But, but I'm, I'm not here just for that purpose. I want disciples. I want people that are going to follow me. I want to take you beyond just, just an eternal destination. I want to do something here right now. I want to shape you, conform you, bring healing, bring hope to you. I want to do things in your life here. 
And so he starts going, but to do that, it's going to take a commitment from your part as well. You've got to be committed to this journey too. You've got to be committed to following me. I don't just want to be a saviour. I want to be this little thing. We, we, say this, we sang a song, Lord, I need you. Lord, I need you. Lord. And Jesus goes, I don't just want to be the saviour that meets all the needs there. He says, I want to be your Lord. It's one thing to be, to be saved, but then there's this process of following. See, so Jesus never said to his disciples, he never said, come stand behind me. You, Peter, get up. Matthew, leave your tax box. Come stand behind me. We're not going anywhere. Just stand behind me. Let's make a line here. He didn't do that. He said, follow me. Follow me. In other words, you you get up and you come uh, and you get behind me and you get in line with me. But guess what? I'm not standing still. I'm actually going somewhere. I can't, I'm not going to be behind you. I'm not going to be grabbing your left leg, then your right leg like you're some kind of puppet. You've got to make the choice now to come with me and follow me where I'm going. You know? Anyone experienced that in their life? We get saved and then all of a sudden the, 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 the God starts to want to go beyond just, hey, here's, here's your eternal fire insurance. Hey, you know what? I want to get into those little places inside your world. And I want to talk to you about some of that stuff. I want to walk into some of those rooms that you keep locked. Would you give me access to those rooms? Hey, I don't want to go in there and destroy them. I want to go in there and I want to clean them up. I want to paint the walls. I want to get rid of the rubbish. You know the stuff you've got in there that's no good for you. I want to take it out. I don't want to expose you and I want to humiliate you. What I'm doing is going to create something so beautiful and so attractive that you're going to want to go into that room from now on. You're not going to have it locked anymore and just walk past the door and go, I shun the thought of going in there. It's so disgusting. You're going to be happy to go in there because of what I want to do in that room. That's lordship, following Jesus, allowing him to be not just the one that saves me, but now my Lord, now the one that dictates the terms of my life the one by whom I get my value system, the one by whom I take my instructions from, and the one whom I'm following and going after. So anyway, it starts getting a bit heavy with the guys. Right? Eat my flesh, drink my blood, and so on. And, and we pick it up. Where's my glasses? I better get these on. It's a problem when I don't have a large print Bible. And your arms are too short. John chapter 6. Verse 60, it says this, when, when Jesus started teaching this stuff, it says, then many of his disciples, when they heard this, they said, this is a hard saying. In other words, this is, this is a really difficult thing that you're asking. Who can understand it? It's really, really hard. Uh, you know, I think we all get to a point in our walk with God where God begins to chuck a hard saying our way. Okay, now it's time, people. Let's, let's talk about this. Let's go to this place. Well, maybe God requires of us a certain action or something, and, and it's that point where okay, it was really fun following you to now, but if I do this now, it's, this could change everything. I mean, do I really want to get that serious with you, Jesus? Do I really want to be that kind of radical with you? Is this, you know, do I, do I, do I really want this to cost me something? It costs you everything, and I'm happy with that, but now you're asking, cost me something? Hang on. I don't know whether I'm ready to go there. And so here's what happens. This is what they're saying. We don't know if we can handle this. And Jesus knew in himself that his disciples complained, his own followers complained about this. And he says to them, does this offend you as well? Does this make you stumble? It literally means, is this something that you're struggling with? And we all have those moments in our walk with God where maybe the preacher preaches something and we go, oh, hang on a second, I'm really struggling with that. Now, if it's not of God, then don't, why struggle with it? Just disregard it, water off a duck's back. But if it is God... If it is Jesus, if it is the Holy Spirit speaking to you, then we, 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 we struggle. We've got to confront that. And then you go down to verse 66, and this is what I, what I sort of want to look at here. It says, From that time, many of his disciples went back and walked with him no more. So he's got this massive group of people, and all of a sudden it says, From that time on, many of his disciples went back and walked with him. That word walked literally means progressed. It literally means progressed. So they heard this teaching, 
And they got to a point where they said, you know what, we're happy to go with you. I've decided to follow. I've decided to follow. I've decided to follow. Decided, oh, hang on. Hang on. I'm not liking this. This is too tough. This is too hard. You're touching a nerve here, Jesus. This is a no-go zone. And so it says at that point, many of them turned around and walked with him no more. Their progress in God stopped. Still calls them disciples. Many of his disciples went back and walked with him no more. Their progress stopped. They weren't prepared to keep on going with Jesus. They got to that point where they said, enough's enough, and we're not going to go any further. It's obvious to me that Jesus has never, ever done a church growth class in his life. Because this is not a way to grow a church, is it? I mean, any of you that have been to any church growth or church seminars or whatever, you would know, this is wrong, Jesus. You don't know what you're doing. You don't get up and say something and offend and hurt people. And then when they turn around and walk away, you don't just turn. And here's what Jesus does next. He turns to his 12 and he says, do you guys want to go too? There's the door. Don't let it hit you on the way out. Here's what he says. Very next verse. He turns to his disciples and he says, do you want to go away as well? These guys have got to a point when they've said enough's enough. This Jesus thing is getting too serious. It's impacting my life too much. I can't take that. This is as far as I want to go. I'm happy to come to church on Sunday. I really am. But I don't want to feel like I've got to take the church back to my workplace. I don't want to do that. I'm happy to come along and to, 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 to hear that Jesus died for my sins. I don't want to hear that I've got to take up a cross daily and follow him. I don't want to hear that stuff. And so they get to a point and they stop. And Jesus turns around and says to the 12, Do you want to go as well? Jesus, you're killing the church, dude. You're doing... The Where's he getting this stuff from? Certainly not from the church growth seminars and books I've read. You know? You know what we're told? When they start walking away, you're saying, oh, no, that's not what I meant. Come back, come back. It's not what I meant. No, no, no. You misinterpreted me. No, sorry, come back. (laughs) But here's the thing. I don't think Jesus really cared too much about massive big numbers following him. He wasn't trying to start a movement of big numbers. He wasn't trying to gather a big church. He was trying to gather a people who are committed to change the world. He wanted a people who are committed enough to change the world. What did he say? Matthew 28, after his resurrection, he says to them, Now, you group of people that are still hanging around me after all this stuff, I've got a message for you and I've got a mission for you. Go into the world and change it. Go into the world and change it for the glory of God. So he wasn't too concerned about the numbers. He was really concerned about the quality of the people. Were you prepared to pay that price, whatever that price is, and go on this journey with me? Or do you have a cut-off point? Do you have those places where you won't go beyond that and you won't allow me to go beyond that? And Simon Peter answers him, and I love Simon's word. Simon says, Lord, to whom shall we go? He says, you've got the words of eternal life. I want you to imagine that, Peter's standing there. Now, Peter, sta- Peter always liked to look good in the crowd. He, he rattled off things. He wanted to be the first one to say it. You ever meet people like that? They've got the revelation. I just want to tell everyone, uh, I don't care whether revelation makes sense. I just want you to know my revelation. Yeah? Look how close I am. Peter's standing there. And Jesus says this statement about eating flesh and drinking blood. In other words, he's saying you've got to be committed to this. And, and, and a multitude walk away. And Peter's standing there. I can imagine the scene. Peter just looking at them going, uh, Jesus, them, they're walking away. And then he just hears off to the side this voice say, do you guys want to go with him as well? And he breaks back into reality and looks over here and here's Jesus and he's, you're pointing at us? You're saying we can go too? And I can imagine Peter looking at Jesus then looking at them walking away and looking at Jesus and looking at them and coming to the conclusion, where would we go? 
where, where else do we have? I don't, I don't know where they're going. But I do know this, that you've got the words of eternal life. What you're teaching us, think about that. Eternal words of eternal life. Jesus wasn't just teaching them how to have a happy temporal existence. What he's saying to them is, I'm trying to teach you stuff about how do you live well and great and successful in the temporal, but living in the light of eternity. Words of eternal life, not just temporal life, eternal life. A few weeks ago, I pointed to that crack in the wall over there. Like, let's imagine for a second, this here is, is this is your life. That's the beginning. You're born here and you die there. But did you know that that eternal life is all the way back to here and all the way here? And the problem for most people is we want to live for this. We want to live for the crack in the wall. Like that's the most important part of your existence. You will exist beyond that crack in the wall. And Jesus is trying to educate these people saying, when you come and you follow me, understand this. I want you to live the temporal stuff, but I want you to live it in the light of the eternal. There's something way bigger than this here. Don't just live for the now. And so Peter recognizes this, and Peter makes this statement. He could have walked off with everybody else, but he turns and he says, where would I go? You got the words of eternal life. You got the words of eternal life. You know what happened to Peter there? Here's what I think happened. Put my, little, put my letters up there. I want to see how good we are at guessing. Anyone ever seen those, what would Jesus do? Bracelets, WWJD. You know, what would Jesus do? What would Josiah do? I bet you that's what he thinks they are. What would Jesus do? Bracelets. Well, I want to make some of those. I want to make a bunch of them. And I'm going to put this P-O-N-R. Anyone want to guess what P-O-N-R stands for? Yep. Okay, can you be quiet? You've just taken 15 minutes off this message, right? <laughs> Unbelievable. Now, let's imagine that you never heard that. None of, none of you heard that. Now, I'm going to ask you again, and you can't comment. Anyone know what that means? No, you don't? Okay, let me explain it to you. P-O-N-R. It stands for point of no return. Everyone go, oh, that's amazing. I'd never have picked that. Awesome. P-O-N-R point of no return. You see, I think what's happening here for Peter is Peter's at this moment, and I like to call it like the point of no return. This is where he realizes I can go that way. I'm confronted with this teaching, this difficult thing that Jesus is saying. I could just walk off with them, but where would I go? I'm at a moment called the point of no return. I have to make a decision here because there's no going back from this moment. What am I going to do? The point of no return is actually an aviation term. If you Google it, and what it literally means, it's the point in an aircraft's flight where it gets to a certain point, and if you go another mile forward or a metre forward, you will not have enough fuel to get you back from where you came from. That's where it comes from. It's an aviation term, point of no return. The plane can go, it starts here, and when it gets about here and decides to turn around, well, you can turn around, you can land that plane back where you started from with minimal damage, hassle whatsoever. Bit of inconvenience, but you'll get back there safely. But when you get past the point of no return, you can't go back. If you turn around and try to go back, you are not going to land where you started. You are going to crash and burn. Life is going to be different for you. And every one of us need to get to that place in our walk with God, which is like that point of no return. We get to a point and a moment in our walk with Jesus where we go, if I go another step into this thing, this is going to, I'm not going to be able to go back. I'm not going to be able to land back where I started. And some people love the safety of not going beyond the point of no return. We like to go up to the edge, but we don't want to 
cut off that life too much because I want it there in case I decide to come back and have a plan B. When a plane goes past the point of no return, there is no plan B. There's no fallback. And that's what the point of no return is about. What I loved about Sunday, my, the, 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 the reason why it was so exciting to me was this. Baptism, when it's done in the right spirit and the right heart, is the point of no return. It's that point where you go publicly and you go, as the song says, I have decided. I've got, not been coerced. I'm not being pushed. I'm not being uh, uh, driven. I have decided of my own free will. I have decided... Not to stand behind Jesus. I've decided not to become religious. I have decided to follow Jesus. And that's that public declaration. And when it's done properly and biblically, that's what it is. It's my acknowledgement I have reached the point of no return, no turning back, no turning back. What would the church look like if every one of us knew beyond a shadow of a doubt that we've gone past the point of no return. What's it like to go past the point of no return? It's frightening because you've never been there before. That's the point. The point of no return when we get past it, that's where the unexpected things begin to happen in life. That's where faith becomes real. Because you know what, God, you're going to have to sustain me from here on in. I mean, back here, I've got the fuel to turn around and go back. I can make it. I know I can. But if I go beyond that, Lord, it's really up to you. It's really up to you. When we lived in India and people would get baptised in India, you know, it was okay. We would go and start house churches in little villages. And people would come and they would experience the reality of Jesus. We would see healings and miracles. And, and families and communities coming to Christ and we would gather at the light of a candle in some hut at nine o'clock at night with just one Bible. But when they really came alive, was at the point when they said, we need to get baptised. Because for them that meant getting outside the hut, going down to the river in full view of every other person. And going down in the waters of baptism in full view of every other person in that community. And what it meant was when they came back up, you can no longer get your water from that well like you've done your whole life because that's where the Hindus get their water and you're no longer one of us. You have to walk two kilometres down there to get water now. You can't take your clothes down on that rock and wash anymore because that's where our people do it. And you're no longer one of our people now. You're with Jesus. You can't do that now. So you carry your stuff one, two, three kilometres down river and you find another place and you wash your stuff down there. That's what happens when you hit the point of no return. Life changes. Life changes. Things get different. But that's also the place where Jesus is waiting. See, if I stop before the point of no return, I can become a really good religious person. I don't think Jesus ever came to earth to give us another religion. There were thousands. He calls us on a journey, a journey of excitement. He calls us on a journey of faith. It's not always easy. It's not always straightforward. It's sometimes complex and sometimes we don't know what's going on. And, and, and at the end of the day, we have nothing but faith to fall back on. And go, well, Lord, I've made a decision to follow you. This is in your hands, Lord. I'm doing what I believe you're saying to do. I'm dealing with the things that you're bringing up. Lord, I'm walking with you. I've decided to follow after you. And I want to go past that point of no return. You know what the point of no return is like? 
It's like carrying a five-foot shark strapped on your back, swimming across Moreton Bay as the sun's going down. Anyone ever done that? I went fishing with a bunch of guys. This is back when I was uh, 19 and my brain was only half formed. Some would say. And we got across and so we decided, here's what we're going to do. We're going to Moreton Bay, we're going to have fish. So we took our rods and stuff, we took no food. Because we're fishermen, dude. We can catch fish. We don't need food. So we decided we'll catch our own food anyway. We get there and we, we, we wake up the next morning. We paddle across. Anyone been to Moreton Bay? There's a, the wrecks at Moreton Island. There's the wrecks there. And so at low tide, it's only about a oh, 200 metre swim to get from the shore across this really deep, um, by the way, shark infested. Um, gully. But when you're 19 and your brain's half-formed, you don't think of those things. You only think about the excitement stuff. And so anyway, um, we, we, we get there and we swim across early in the morning. By, by, by the time we get across there, it's only like 200 metres of water. We fish there all day. And by the time the end of the day gets there, we've got to swim back. Now, we didn't factor in on a few things. One of them was that when the tide comes in, the swim becomes a four to 500-metre swim, and the current is just ripping like you would not believe. We didn't think of that because our brains were half-formed. And so anyway, so we get across there and we're fishing all day. Nobody catches a thing. No one. So I'm standing on the back of this boat and, and I'm looking down and I look down at my feet and there's a hole in the ground. And when I look at the hole, I notice at, at just I peer through the hole and I see this tiny little fin. Now it looks like the dorsal fin of a shark. With, uh, uh, sorry, the, the tail fin of a shark with a little dorsal fin. So I'm looking at it going, this is amazing. This is a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. I could reach through and grab that thing and pull it out. I mean, it's only going to be about that big, so it's no real harm, you know. So I'm looking at this thing, and I put my rod down, and I, I, I get my feet either side of this hole in the ground, look down, and I reached in and I grabbed it. And as I did, I went to pull it up. The problem was it didn't come out because it wasn't that big. I just got my hand out of the way, and this big mouth comes snapping around and just misses my hand. So, of course, by this stage, the adrenaline's pumping, and I'm thinking, oh, I've got a big one here. You know, what do you do? Do you let it go? No way. I'm 19. I've only got half a brain. I'm not going to let this thing go. So what I did is I got my legs either side of this rusty um, hole, and I grabbed it with two hands, and I'm going like this. Uh, uh, and every time I'm pulling it up, the, the bits of boat are chipping away. The hole's getting bigger and bigger and bigger, and this poor shark's slashing. In the end, bang, I ripped it all the way through, holding it up like this, and it's flicking its head around, it's trying to bite me, it latches onto the boat, and I'm there, and all the boys are going, yeah, crocodile man, woo, shark hunter, Steve Irwin, and then Alan Gertrude, yeah, you know, we're having a good old time, I'm holding this shark up. Anyway, eventually we get on the ground, and I'm thinking the sun's going down by this stage, end of day, but everyone's happy, because we're going to eat tonight, yay, that was the goal. But the other thing was, whoever caught the fish, you had to tie it to your back, and you had to swim it back across. So now I've got a dilemma. And now I've got to take this shark back across Morton Bay to the shore so we can <laughs> cook it up. But I can't afford to have it bleeding. Well, how do I end the life of this shark without causing it to bleed? So I go up and I... And, and by the way, I'm an animal lover. I want everyone to know I'm a massive animal lover. I wanted to be a vet when I finished school, but I didn't. only had half a brain, didn't make it to uni. So, so what I did is I grabbed this piece of, of, of rod. It was blunt. And I came up, and I'm not proud of this, and I, I, I had to try to, to end its life without piercing the skin. So I'm knocking this thing. I'm only 19, don't judge me. I'm knocking this thing, and eventually it's, it's flicking, then it just stops. It just stops moving, and I think, okay, I've done it. And I wait there looking at it for a while. That's done, you know, and I'm checking the skin out, no piercings. Now I've got to get this thing. I've got this big bag. I jam it into a bag. I get these ropes. I tie, you should have seen me. I tied these ropes around my body with a shark nearly as big as me strapped to my back. 
By this stage, the sun is just on its zenith and it's starting to get real dark. And I look up and it's about four to 500 metres now and the current's ripping. So I jump in the water and I'm trying to swim four or 500 metres across uh, Morton Bay. The sun's down, I'm panicking. I get about halfway and here's what happened. I still remember it clear as a bell. I get halfway across and all of a sudden I have this thought. What if you didn't kill it? What if you just knocked it out? And it wakes up, like now, like right now. What if it wakes up right now? It's going to be pretty annoyed. It's going to be pretty mad. And what are you going to do? Like I'm trying to swim and stay afloat with the weight of... I can't undo the ropes. I'm tied in here like a mummy. What am I... And all of a sudden, this fear grips me. I'm thinking, oh, no. And then I'm thinking, it starts thrashing around on my back and all of its mates are going to come up from underneath and eat me. And I'm panicking and I'm, I'm swimming faster and harder and harder and faster and faster. Anyway, cut a long story short, I eventually got to the other side. When I got to the other side, it was like a scene out of Castaway. I felt like Tom Hanks in Castaway. I walked up on the shore like this and I fell on the sand. And I just laid there as the ocean lapped up on me, you know. My mates came and they untied me and got the shark off. Cooked it up. One of my mates was a chef in a restaurant in Hawaii and so he cooked it up with some chicken salt. It was beautiful really nice. But anyway, I remember getting to that point of no return, having to make a decision. Do I keep on going forward? Going forward was fearful. It was very scary because I didn't know what was going to happen if I kept on going on from here. All these possibilities opened up of what life could look like. I could get eaten by a shark. Uh, The current could drag me all the way out into the ocean. Uh, Blah, 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 blah. All this stuff starts running through my head. But I was at that point where I had to make the decision. Do I go back? Now, if I go back, I might, if I'm lucky, make it back to this um, the, the ship, but I'm going to be sitting on a ship all night out in the middle of the, the, the area there. No one's going to come and get me. None of my mates had boats or anything like that, and there's nobody else on the island. We're just camping in the sand hills and, and swimming across. So, so I had to make a decision about going forward or going backwards. I made the decision to go forwards, but it was frightening and it was scary. And I think that's what it's like following Jesus. I think we get to that point in our journey with him where we have to make a decision. Are we prepared to go forward past the point of no return? Or do we want to just stay in that safe sort of zone with Jesus? You know, just stay just this side of the point of no return where it doesn't cost me so much. There's not that much uh, that, 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 that uh, is required of me. Um, I don't have to change my world too much. Uh, no, nobody really needs to know because, you know, one of the reasons we don't want to walk across the point of no return, who wants to look like a religious nut? Nobody does. None of us want to look like some religious idiot and nutcase and so on. But, but, but here's the thing. It, going past the point of no return doesn't mean you have to look like a religious nut. and It doesn't mean that. It's a thing inside here where you've made a decision that there's no turning back. It's a thing in here where you've decided to say to God, here's the keys to the house, including the doors I've locked, when you're ready. When you're ready, you speak, let's go in there. When you want to touch on this, you can touch on that. When you require something to be done, Lord, if I'm in a space and you want something done, I want you to know that my hand's in the air and I'm saying, pick me. Here am I. Lord, send me. I'm ready. I'll say that word to that person. I'll pray for that person. I'll I'll, I'll do whatever it is. It's getting to that point where it's no longer I that live, but Christ that lives in me. Christ that lives in me. Peter could have gone any way he wanted at this moment. But he made a decision. He said, I'm going to stay with you, Jesus. You've got the words of eternal life. And I think at that point, Peter crossed the point of no return. It didn't make him perfect. He still messed up. It didn't mean that his faith was rock solid. He still had his moments of doubt. It didn't, didn't, didn't uh, uh, make life smooth sailing for him. But something transpired where he recognized who this Jesus was. He's not just a religious figure. He wasn't just a great moral teacher. 
We're talking about the man that carries the very words of eternal life. And he made a decision at that point that he was going to follow after Jesus and he wasn't going to go back. And I think that's what excited me last week about the baptisms. Who likes reading biographies? I love reading biographies. I love reading stories of men and women who have done amazing things for the Lord, who have, have, have through their actions and their choices in their lives seen the kingdom of God come to earth. I devour them kinds of books. And you know what I've learned? I've learned this. And I want you to think about this. Before anyone will go past the point of no return for God, you've got to go past the point of no return with God. Before any of these people went past the point of no return for God, they had already gone past the point of no return with God. If I haven't gone there in my relationship with him, if I won't go past that point, where you know what, I just don't care anymore, who knows? Then I'll follow Jesus, I don't care. If I haven't gone past that point where, you know, Jesus, I don't care what it is that you, you want to touch on my life. Oh, here's the keys, let's go there. I'm not saying it'll be easy, but I'm prepared. Lord, I, I, I don't care how I feel about forgiving. You're saying forgive. I want to get to that point. It'll be a journey, but the heart's there. Until I've gone past the point of no return in my relationship with God, I will never be used to go past the point of no return for God. There's a story later on in, uh, I think it's Acts 4 maybe. Peter, this same dude, Peter and John. You all know the story. There's a man who used to beg at the temple. He used to beg at the, the, the temple. And they're going into the temple. And it says that he looked at them. And Peter said, look at me. And he looks at him. And, and Peter says this statement. He says, silver and gold I don't have. But what I do have I'll give you in the name of Jesus. Get up and walk. And then it says this. It says, then Peter grabbed him by the hand. And then it says Peter starts pulling on this man. After that, it says immediately his legs received strength. Wow. I mean, I would have thought the minute he reached down to grab that man's hand, you've gone past the point of no return, man. You could end up with all kinds of egg on your face, Pete. What if nothing happens? If I'm John, I'm standing there going, when I start seeing that muscle in Pete's arm as he starts to pull him up, I'm going, oh, dude, tell me out of here. This could go south in a big way. You're on your own, Pete. But you see, before you'll go past the point of no return for God, You've got to go past the point of no return with God. Got to go past the point of no return with God. See, I believe that Jesus wants us to change the world. I believe that with all my heart. I don't think we're meant to just be meeting in religious silos. I don't think we're just meant to be the religious people that follow a better religion than that religion. Jesus never said that. He said, I'm trying to raise a people that will go past the point of no return with me so I can ask them to go past the point of no return for me. You know what, when we read this book, I'll bet you, when I get to heaven, you can ask him. So you're going to have to just trust me between now and then. I'll bet you every person Peter prayed for did not get healed. I'll bet you. But can you imagine if they put that in there? Peter says to the lame man, 
Silver and gold I have not. What I have, I give you in the name of Jesus. Peter reached down and took him by the hand and went to pull him up and realized, my goodness, this man's heavy. He let him go and he fell and crumpled to the floor and nothing happened. And they're not going to write that. Can you imagine that? What sort of faith would the church have if we were reading that sort of stuff? But I'll guarantee you this. I'll bet you every time that they did something, it didn't happen. But here's the thing. When you've gone past the point of no return with God, none of that stuff really matters. See, if I've gone past the point of no return with God, then the natural byproduct of that is I'll start going past the point of no return for God because it doesn't matter. I'm not doing it because I saw the healing. I'm doing it because I'm past the point of no return with you, Jesus, and this is what you want me to do. This is how you want me to live. This is what you want life to be like for me now in this temporal space where I live. So it's not about results anymore. Now it's just about, hey, I've already given my life over to you. I'm walking with you. I'm past that point of no return. So you know what? I'm going to tell people about Jesus. They may not get saved. I'm still going to do it because I'm past the point of no return with Jesus. I'm going to pray for the sick. They might not all get healed. I don't care. I'm not doing it because of that. I'm doing it because I'm past the point of no return with Jesus. So going past the point of no return for Jesus is now so much easier. Can I pray for you? Yep, I pray for you. Nothing happens. I'm not getting embarrassed about that. I don't care. Dead men don't get embarrassed. It's no longer I that live. It's Christ that lives in me. Dead men don't get offended. Dead men don't get rejected. And there's a journey. I'm not saying that that's, that's easy. What I'm saying is this is the call of God upon the church. Have we, in our own world, gone past the point of no return with Jesus? Because if we've never gone past the point of no return with Jesus, we will never go past the point of no return for Jesus. And Jesus is looking for a people that he can ask, would you go past the point of no return for me? Would you do this? Would you bring my kingdom to the world? Would you say what I want you to say? Will you forgive because I want you to forgive? Will you love because I want you to love? Will you reach out because I want you to reach out? I wonder, each of us sitting here this morning, only you knowing God, are we like these guys that came to a certain point and then when Jesus started touching on those nerves, we went, no, oh, that's enough. I'm actually happy just to be, I'm happy just to be the person that rocks up at church every now and then. I'm happy to be there, you know. I've gone as far as I need to go. Or is there a hunger and a desire inside of us to hand the keys to every room over? Is there a hunger and desire inside of us to go, you know what, I, I, I don't know what it's going to look like, I don't know what it might cost me, but I've got something in me that says, man, I want to go past that point of no return with Jesus. It's scary, it's frightening, it takes faith, it takes trust, but I believe that's where true New Testament Christianity begins and dead boring religion ends it's past the point of no return and my prayer for each of us here today is that we would sit with god we would ask god the question lord am i past that point of no return yet let me let me tell you this if you are if you think about christianity and your first thought is it's just a dead boring religion i'm doing it because i know it's right but it's still boring and dead let me challenge you and say to you maybe just maybe you haven't gone past that point of no return yet. Because once you get past that point of no return, you can't say that, that following Jesus is a dead, boring religion. You certainly aren't going to necessarily say it's always easy and it won't always be comfortable. It's sometimes it's just outright uncomfortable. But you'll walk into a faith space where you'll begin to actually trust Jesus, not just talk about trusting him, not just talk about having faith. You'll start to put yourself in a place where you have to trust, you have to have faith, because I can't turn this plane around. There's not enough fuel I will crash on the way back. 
That's the excitement of New Testament Christianity. That's what drove the people in the book of Acts to do what they did. That's what drove Stephen to stand up and say to the religious leaders. He gave them a history of Israel in, uh, I think it's Acts chapter 7, big history of Israel, and the religious leaders are there, and he's saying, you know, you're this and you're that. And then he gets to a point, and he looks them in the eyes, he goes, you brood of vipers, you killed Jesus. They picked up stones and they ended his life. But you know what? He passed the point of no return, so it didn't really matter. He was past the point of no return. Wouldn't it be great to be a generation of believers in Lismore, Genelabar? Wouldn't it be great to be a part of that generation of people that can say with authenticity and sincerity, I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. Now forget the last bit. I've decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. No turning back. Lord, I thank you for this morning, Father. Holy Spirit, I pray right now that you would just be speaking to hearts here, Lord. Father, I pray, speak to me. God, those areas of my world where, God, I I have not allowed myself to get past that point. Father, if there's areas like that in my world, God, show me. Open my eyes, Lord, for each of us in this room. Father, we we want to be a community of people that would go past the point of no return. But God, Lord, I acknowledge this morning, if I won't go past the point of no return with you, then there's no way I'll go past the point of no return for you. So Lord, speak to us, God. Raise us up. Father, I pray for each believer this morning, God, in, in our community, Father, everyone that's sitting in churches right now. Holy Spirit, would you stir us up? Lord, would you stir us up? Would you remind us that we're here for such a time as this right now? What's happening in our nation? Father, we're born and placed here strategically for a reason, Lord, and that's not to be quiet and to sit in the corner and just be religious, but it's to make a difference, Father. It's to get radical again with you, Lord, not to be afraid and not to be scared of being associated with the weirdos and the nutcases. But God, Father, we are in you. We are in God. We are enthusiastic. We love you, Jesus. And we want to follow you wherever you want to take us, Father. And I pray for each of us in this room in the next seven days. God, give every single one of us in this place an opportunity to tell somebody about the goodness of God. Somebody who up to this point doesn't quite understand it or know it. Lord, let us meet that person this week and let us share the good news of Jesus Christ with them, Father. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. God bless you guys. What a... What a um I was just going to say what an awesome message. I'm going to go and listen to that one. I reckon that was pretty good. Oh, I don't mind saying, I'm going to go home and listen to that one. I think that's not bad. That's pretty good. I'm going to send myself an offering and do the works. I'm going to go and buy my own book. There you go. Right here. Bless you guys. Enjoy the rest of your week. Don't forget Saturday. Go and see Pete if you need to about the bike ride. And uh, we'll catch up with you during the week. If not, we'll see you on Sunday morning. Don't forget the barbecue uh, next week as well. Okay. Bless you guys.